All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. We already turned in reading enough, didn't we? How's that sound wise? You guys, is that all right? That's all right, good. Thank you, Pastor Ted, and you guys are looking to happen. Okay, you know what, I'm gonna do this. Kids, you're dismissed to see no kids. Hopefully you'll have better technical luck in there than we are in here. We'd love having you. Um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and receive our morning offering, because you know what? The good news is, is that we can take offering with or without power. <laughs> God loves the church and givers, so go ahead and just celebrate that. Beautiful. Um, as we do that, I, I, I find it ironic. Check this out. This is just how God is. The sermon today is on listening. <laughs> listening. There's this old adage, um, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, actually, the scientific technical answer is no. Because in order for it to be a sound, it has to be heard, it has to hit an ear, right? And so today we're talking about listening. It has to, uh oh. No sound? What are you saying? Oh yeah, no video. Thank you. Yeah, we had a video planned for you, but we'll pull it off, and next week you guys will get blessed by that. So let me pray, and we're gonna jump into our message today. Thank you for being flexible this morning. Actually, I thought that was kind of fun. I don't know if you guys did. God, this morning as we uh, gather with technical struggles, we're reminded that you're bigger than all that stuff. It's not who we are. We're not. We're not our sound, we're not our technology, we're not even this building, God. We all learn that we would still be your people. Uh, we would still rally around you, declare you, live for you, follow you, because you are great. And so, thank you for that little reminder today, a reminder that you're that you're bigger than our worldly problems sometimes. And I pray, God, even this morning, for people who are here who maybe are facing something that seems big and insurmountable that you, you use this morning to remind them that you're bigger than whatever they're facing. So speaking to our lives today, God, we, we open our hearts and minds to you. We ask that you would do a work in us, change us, shape us, mold us. Um, we long to experience more of you. We long to live for you. We long to know you in a deeper way. That's our prayer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 24, uh, we are in a series going through Luke 24 like, over and over again. It's going to be like Groundhog Day around here for the next uh, couple months. And it's just going to get better and richer and more fun as we go. Luke 24, if you have your Bible, turn there with me. We're starting verse 13. As you turn, let me set the theme for you again. Jesus has just been crucified. His followers are shocked and terrified and heartbroken. Last week, Matt talked about how their wish dream, what they thought and hoped the future would be like, has been utterly crushed. But at the same time, there are also some rumors swirling about, rumors that Jesus is no longer dead, rumors that the tomb is empty and that he has risen. And now the disciples, Jesus' followers, don't know what to think. They're in this, this sudden state of shock and disappointment and confusion and horror and utter emotional chaos. And in this story, the story we're looking at this morning and throughout the series, 
Two of them are walking together on a road, trying to put the pieces back together. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Let me, let me stop you right there. Uh, I think verse 15, at least for me, may be the most poignant verse of this entire passage, because it's actually our vision for this series and our vision for community. And what it says is this, that as these disciples gather together, as they talk with one another, as they experience fellowship and community, Jesus shows up in the midst of their conversation. Jesus shows up, and it's not just two people talking, it's not just two individuals having a conversation or sharing ideas, but that in the middle of that conversation, the very presence of Christ is experienced. And I thought this week about that. I thought, what if verse 15 is about us? What if when we gather together as a community in church or in community groups or even with just in groups of one or two or three or more, what if when we gather, we didn't just walk away saying, well, that was nice. Kind of adventuresome in church this morning with no power or, you know, I really like those folks and we should do that more. What if instead, when we gather together as Christ followers, we routinely and regularly walk away saying, Jesus showed up tonight. Jesus showed up this morning. He was truly in our midst. And again, this series is actually about how that can become a more regular and routine reality in our church. And so today I want to talk to you about one of the central ways that we believe this will happen. One of the central practices that will make that not just an idea or a hope or a dream, but, but something that is true and real for you and me and us together as a church. And that's the very complicated and simple and yet profound process of listening. Today I'm talking about how listening actually creates community that's transformative. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? He asked them. Those three words are actually the title of this message. He asked them. Jesus asked them. I, I, I know you've heard this passage before. If you haven't, if you have, you may be tempted to skip right over those three words, and yet they are enormous. You see the significance of them? God in the flesh, the risen Christ, by whom and in whom all things were created, that's John chapter 1, comes across two weary, scared, confused, tired, disappointed, and discouraged followers, and the first thing he does is ask a simple question and listen. He doesn't offer tips. He doesn't give advice. He doesn't offer thoughts or verses or even share his divinely informed truth with them. He simply asks, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As if he didn't know. You see, friends, Jesus understands the power of listening. Jesus understands how central listening is to building community. How, how essential listening is to true and deep transformation in our hearts and minds and souls. 
Now I know, in a room like this, some of you will want to jump ahead. You'll want to skip down to verse 25 and say, but yes, but Jesus responds. Jesus talks. He informs. He corrects. He even rebukes them on some level. But, but, but the question this morning is this. What does he do first? He listens. And he listens fully. And I'll argue this, that Jesus is showing us, demonstrating for us, that to respond well, first we must listen well. In fact, if you look at this story, if you want to break it down, eight verses are Jesus listening, and only three in this story are of him talking. Eight listening verses from Jesus, three talking from verses from Jesus. And so the question is, if Jesus, the all-wise, known creator of heaven and earth, has a listening-talking ratio of eight to three, what do you think yours should be? This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Matt talking a little bit about his book, Life Together, last week, and I'm going to share a quote from it as well. Uh, Bonhoeffer writes, in, in the middle of the Nazi Holocaust, under extreme persecution, and what it looks like to be Christian community when things are tough, and you're in the pressure cooker, and he writes this. Christians so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. And then he says this. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. He's talking about some talking to people who follow Jesus. He's saying, for, for Jesus followers, we can easily forget that listening is often, not just sometimes, not just occasionally, but often a greater service than speaking. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 18. This kind of wisdom literature of the Bible. This is a wise way to live according to God. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Eugene Peterson said, to talk before listening is stupid and insulting. But I don't think those words were appropriate for church, so I didn't come up with that. Take that same verse, and you the New Testament, it's the book of James, the kind of New Testament version of wisdom literature. This is what James writes. He writes, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A close friend of mine was talking to me this week, and, and she said, you know, most people in our world, and maybe even especially in the church, live out that verse in reverse. We're slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. And so this morning, friends, I want to ask this question. How does Jesus listen? What does community-building, uh, life-transforming listening look like? And I want to use Jesus as a model for how we might listen to one another. First of all, I'll argue that Jesus listens alone. How does Jesus listen? He listens alone. You notice at the, the beginning of the story, if you go back to verse 13, Luke points out that they were headed from Jerusalem to this village called Emmaus. And then he adds this little fact about seven miles from Jerusalem. Like a seven-mile walk. And the question is, why does Luke include this information? Why does he tell us it's a seven-mile journey? Is that important to the story in any way? Is Luke just bragging that he knows his geography this well? Biblical authors don't include information needlessly. Everything they have, everything they say, everything they write, everything they include in the story is for a purpose. And I'll tell you why I believe Luke includes this. 
Because he knows his readers don't know the geography. He, he knows that his readers don't know that Emmaus is a seven-mile walk. And what he's saying is this. This was no short jump. Luke is telling us that this was a, a lengthy walk. How long do you think it takes to walk seven miles on a windy, rocky, bumpy trail through the desert? Give me a guess. How long? Three hours if they're moving in and not taking any breaks, right? At least three hours. In other words, friends, this was a long conversation. In this passage, we have the high points. We do not have the full ordeal. We do not have everything that was said. And, and thus my point. Jesus is listening here for a very long time. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And then he Now, he asks this question, and then we get the first response. They stood still, their faces downcast. They stood still. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Friends, I'll offer you this. Listening along means I'm going to have to be comfortable with letting other people sit in their hands. Listening wrong means that I'm going to have to allow them the time and space to wrestle with something. Maybe even be wrong about something. Are these guys right? Do they understand fully what's happening? Are their ideas fully formed and aligned with truth? No. And yet, does Jesus jump in and correct them? Not right away. He just lets them sit in their pain and confusion and disarray. David Mathis, the executive director of Desire and God, says this. God wants more of the Christian than just our good listening, but not less. There will be days when the most important ministry we do is swear our shoulders to some hurting person, uncross our arms, lean forward, make eye contact, and hear their pain all the way to the bottom. I love that. All the way to the bottom. Not just for me, not just for a few seconds. But all the way to the bottom. You notice here that Jesus, as the story begins, he does not come in to fix their pain. He doesn't just bandit a verse over the top of their emotion. He embraces their emotion. He sits in their emotion with them. He actually presses into it and gives them time and space to discuss and explore their experience further. One of them, in Cleopas, asked him. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, I'm not here. He doesn't know he's talking to Jesus right now. And so because of that, this is what he says. Are you the only ignorant person out there in the world? What are you, some sort of funny? You don't know what's happening around the world these days? Now, if I'm Jesus in this moment, which I'm not, I'd be tempted to get my hackles up a bit. Do I know what's been happening? You bet I know what's been happening in these days. You know? I was, you know, I was there. I was there. See, what does he do? He absorbs their frustration. He just absorbs and he just takes it. He doesn't respond to it. He doesn't get his hackles up in any way. Who is not? Are you the only one that's in Jerusalem who's not the things that have happened there these days? Now, if there's ever a time or a moment where Jesus could 
could or should or might be tempted to jump in and, and rebuke and advise and give answers, this would be the time. This would be the moment where he says, you've got it all wrong. Your feelings are messed up. You don't even have the facts straight. Let me tell you what's been going on these last few days. But that's what Jesus does. Again, he does not do that. Again, he asks another question. He says, what things? And it's not even one of those like, profound Jesus questions. You're like, whoa, so deep. He just says, what things? Ruth David Barton, who wrote Life Together in Christ, said this. Ah, I love this quote. You've got to love a person who asks a good question, waits patiently for you to sort through your thoughts and emotions, and then asks a follow-up question that finally helps you to say what you need to say. Spiritual conversation doesn't get any better than that. She goes on to say, even though Jesus certainly had his perspective on the situation, his initial invitation to them was the complete freedom to tell it like it was for them. I love that. They don't even have a right. They got completely wrong. And yet Jesus gives them time and space and complete freedom to tell it like it was for them. How has this gone for you? What are you experiencing? What do you think is true right now? How do you feel about it? And Jesus gives them time, friends, because he knows they need to sort through their own thoughts and ideas and emotions. Again, David Mathis says this, Rarely will a speaker begin with what's most important and deepest. We need to hear the whole train of thought all the way to the caboose before starting across the tracks. Jesus listens long. He presses in. He asks questions. He lets these two followers share their entire story all the way to the caboose, all the way to the bottom. Jesus listens long. And then next, friends, Jesus, our Lord, listens to Peter. Listen to where the second question takes them. Uh, Jesus refuses to fill the space or offer advice and fix problems, and they start by kind of this informative kind of banter about what's happening. Don't you know what's going on? They start with information. And, uh, and then Jesus asks them, what things? What things are going on? And notice how the conversation shifts ever so slightly. They go from talking about information to emotion. The conversation shifts from what happened back there to what's happening in here. One, one writer uh, said this, this this week. The deepest sharing a person can do is sharing of the heart. Sharing that comes from the very center of ourselves. Sharing that speaks out of that which we hope, dream, long for. Sharing that speaks of our fears, doubts, disappointments. Sharing that ultimately merges the two and says, I had hope for this. But now I am utterly disappointed. There is nothing more personal. There is nothing more intimate. There is nothing more deep to share than that. And that's the power of listening. That's the power of listening along. It's giving people time and space to get down to the heart of the matter. To share the stuff that really counts. Hopes and dreams and failures and disappointments. Not just information, not just surface level things. Now, community group leaders, let me tell you, tell you this. Don't do this this week. 
And the reason I'm warning you on this is because this is what I would intended to do if I were you. Don't get in the room and go, I would like to have a deep community. That's the way it talks about it. And the deepest sharing is hopes and dreams and tears and disappointment. So that's what we're going to share tonight. Who would like to go first? <laughs> you can't force people into sharing these kind of things. Jesus doesn't force them to share these things. He only provides a safe space for them to do so. Uh, one very wise friend of mine said this uh, this past week. Don't ask anyone to share hopes, fears, dreams, or struggles until you demonstrate that you are a safe place to share them. Let, let me ask you this, this question, friends. Let's go back up to like 30,000 feet again. What's the goal of listening? I'm talking about listening today. What's the goal of listening? Why do you listen? It's an interesting question, isn't it? It's interesting that you guys don't know the answer. It makes me worry about it. Um, but I'll give you a few passes. It took me a while this week ago. I'll explain it this way. A fourth grade teacher once asked her class, what is listening? After a few moments of silence, one little girl raised her hand and said this, listening is wanting to hear. Listening is wanting to hear. Listening is wanting to relate. It's wanting to understand what is happening with the other person beyond and behind their words. This is Proverbs chapter 20. Listen to this. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. There's layers and layers and depth to our hearts. But one who has insight draws them out. Goes beyond the words and beyond the information into the deep places of what is happening in our souls. And listen to what happens. Listen to what happens when Jesus creates a safe space for these disciples to share what's happening deep in the waters of their hearts. He responds. It's about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in words and deep before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions looked to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Do you see all the emotions and feelings embedded just underneath the surface of these verses. These verses are not just about info, although although there is a lot of information there, but right underneath are expressions of hope and joy and excitement and shock and fear and disappointment and heartbreak and confusion. You see, friends, if we are really going to listen like Jesus, we have to listen to really understand what people are feeling. To go beyond the words and hear, truly hear their hearts. What we need is to reach for two words. Two words that I think have gotten a bad rap in the Christian church, but I'm going to try to revive them this morning. Sympathy and empathy. Sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, in spite of popular opinion, is a word that means, I've been there. I've been 
where you are, I had a similar experience or feeling. Sympathy is powerful. It doesn't mean that you should cut in at the first available moment to talk about your experience or tell people about what happened with you. No. Transformative listening talks one's own experience back so that the emotions can be related to, but in a way that keeps the focus and attention on the one to whom you are listening. That's sympathy. I understand how you feel because I had a similar experience, and so I can relate to you. I'm not just listening, but I'm hearing your heart. That's sympathy. And then there's empathy. Empathy says, I've not been there. I've not had an experience like that, but I will do everything I can to try to put myself in your place. Empathy happens when we move past words and information into how a person feels in this moment. A, a question an empathetic person will ask themselves as they're listening is this, how must it feel to be you? How must it feel to be you? You want to hear something amazing? You know, I'll say to you, I'm this, sound like a bunch of psychology past today. No. She's read out the Bible, listen to these words. Hebrews chapter 4. For we, the church, people of all Jesus, do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, Paul is talking to this church and he's saying, follow Jesus, trust Jesus, lean in and tell Jesus everything. Why? Why did he tell me? Why did you trust him? Here's why. He gets you. He understands you. He relates to you. He doesn't just listen to your words, but he hears and understands your heart. He's able to enter in and actually feel what you feel. Jesus listens long, and he listens to hear. Do you? Do we? Next, Jesus listens now. We go back to the beginning of the story, um, reading how he begins. It says, Now, so this is how the story begins. Now, as I keep saying, shifting gears a little bit. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. But he starts with these two words. That same day. What same day? What same day is it? Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. That's good. That's right. But it's the same day. What's the particular Sunday? Resurrection Sunday. Luke is saying, on that same day, the same day that the women went to the tomb and found it empty and saw the angels, on that same day that Peter and his companions ran down and found the empty tomb but did not see Jesus, on that same day with our entire world turned upside down and confusion and chaos were reigning, on that same day, Jesus came and met with these two followers. Friends, listening is such a timely thing. It happens in real time. This is so important. Do not miss this. Because you've been there. You understand this. You've been in a situation before. You've been in that moment or in that crisis or in the center of a joy or a struggle or a decision junction in your life. And you need someone to talk to now. Now is when you need to talk. Not tomorrow or next week or during your scheduled meeting time in a few days, you need them now because now is the time. Now is when you're dealing with it. Now is when life is happening and your mind and heart are forming and shaping opinions. Friends, who are the people in your life 
and you'll drop everything for her. Who are the people that when they call, it does not matter that you're in a meeting? Who are the people that when they need to talk, it doesn't matter that you had plans on the counter? Who are the people that you will listen to now, whatever now is? One of my, one of my best friends in the world is a guy named Jim. And Jim's uh, wife, Wendy, has struggled ever since I've known him for the last 12 years with not watching from the phone line. And so my entire relationship with Jim is just been walking with him as he's walked with his wife through this awful disease, trying to support he and, and their two boys through it. And it's not been an easy road. And there were times on that road where we were sure we were going to lose her. And, and then she's come out of it, and we've been sure we lose her again. There's times when that's been a tough road in their marriage. And during certain seasons with Jim, I've just told him, hey, if you call my cell phone, I will answer no matter what. No matter when you call. Middle of the staff meeting, driving on the highway, or the highway patrol, or right next to me, I do not care. If you call my cell phone, I will answer because you're like, we need to talk. We can talk now. Who are the now people in your life? That's the now people. Is your spouse, I don't know if you're here in your marriage, your spouse is a now person for you. Amy and I have this system we call the double ring system. If she calls my phone twice in a row consecutively, it rings, and then it rings again, it's her both times. That means it's an emergency and I need to answer as well. Excuse myself from any meeting, any staff meeting to talk to her. Now, ladies, if you implement this system, let me just give you a warning. You can't call because you need the husband to pick up a loaf of bread on the way home and expect the next time to trust the system. Okay? I need to let you know that. I can say that real safely because you need to teach in Sunday school this hour and she's not going to come But friends, all of us need to be now people for some folks, and every single one of you needs at least a handful of now people on the other end of that line for your group. Jesus listens long, Jesus listens to hear, Jesus listens now, and then finally, friends, Jesus listens intentionally. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept. <coughs> now, this is, this is sort of a weird point that I mean, I'll admit that, um, and yet I think it is significant. It's interesting that Jesus keeps them from recognizing him here. I've spent all week kind of wondering about that. Why in the world did Jesus do this? I mean, they're distraught. They are heartbreaking over the fact that he was crucified. And then they're wondering, will he rise again? Like, if he rise again, is he alive and he shows up? All he has to do is like reveal himself. Guys, I'm here. Everything's all better, isn't it? And yet, he prevents them from recognizing him. Why? Because he doesn't want it to be about him. That seems kind of weird, right? Doesn't God always want it to be about him? Yes, he does on some level. But in this moment, what Jesus knows is that more than them seeing him, seeing that he's alive, he knows even more than that. They need to process their own emotions about the fact that he died. They need to process their own emotions about the fact that he might be alive. And so he sets himself aside for a moment so that the focus can be on them, on them. Jesus listens intentionally, selflessly. He purposefully puts himself on the back burner so that the disciples can be the focus here. Do you listen in this way? I was listening to a, a TED talk this week um, by a guy who's a chief negotiator who negotiates in really tough, like hostage 
crisis situation, and he was making the argument that listening, if we only listen, all the problems of the world could go away. And his and one of the statements he made was that listening has so much power, and yet at the same time it is so easy, it's so simple, it costs you nothing. But I want to respectfully disagree. Listening, I believe, actually costs a lot. I want to suggest to you that to listen is not easy or even natural. It takes intentionality, it takes effort, it takes a willingness to put your own agenda and feelings aside. If you want to truly listen to another person, you have to focus, you have to consider the other, you have to beat down your own emotions and insecurities and pride, you have to pray, you have to tell yourself not to say something, even when you have something really good to say and you are dying to say it, you have to lay aside your agenda so that it can be their agenda and God's agenda and that your agenda won't get the way. One of the things I did in preparation for this sermon this week is I called uh, a woman who's a Christian counselor. She's the best Christian counselor I've ever met. She was a Christian counselor that helped me through some things and gave me life through some things at one point. And just someone who I love and trust dearly. She's sort of like this national figure of, of counseling and the nicest, wisest person ever. And I called her and I said, Deborah, I'm preaching this week on listening. And she laughed. I don't know about that. But she and I said, you're the best listener I've ever like, been around. Tell me, help me, help me think through what, what are some things that I should say about listening. And she talked about how the number one enemy of listening, she actually she said, the number one thing she tries to do with couples and marriage counseling is get them to listen. She said, if I can get couples to listen to one another, every and any marriage is salvable. If they'll just listen, you can salvage any marriage out there. She said, the number one enemy of listening is selfishness. People don't listen and they won't listen. Why? Because they're prideful and they are selfish. And she said, it happens to all of us. Our own agenda, our own emotions, our own feelings and ideas get in the way of the other person's journey with the Lord. She told me the story about how her daughter was a teenager. She came home one day. And she announced to the family, I just joined an eating disorder group. And Deborah said, my instant response as a trained and practiced professional was not, oh, tell me more about that, but you don't have an eating disorder. And she said, after she said it, she stopped. And she thought for a minute about, about the fact that in that moment, Having a daughter with an eating disorder was such an affront to her own personhood and motherhood that she responded with her own agenda instead of laying that agenda down in order to listen to her daughter. Because we take listening for granted as something easy and natural. But real listening, genuine listening, takes work and practice and intentionality. See, an ordinary listening, and the listening that the world does, and the listening that most of us do, most of the time, we are constantly evaluating. Where do I agree? Where do I disagree? What should I say in response? How can I help? How can I fix it? Because whether we want to admit it or not, most of us have some sort of a messiah complex. We think we are the savior of the world. We think we are the ones who another enemy of good listening is this idea that you have to fix, that you have to be the solver of the other person's problems. You don't. Not your job. God's job. Don't let that get in the way. 
Where do I agree? Where do I disagree? What should I say in response? In other words, the focus ends up on us. On our stuff and our issues and they get in the way. But transformative listening intentionally moves the spotlight from me to the other person. All of a sudden, it's all about them. It's all about seeing them and hearing them and understanding them and relating to what they are saying and trying to understand how they are feeling. And then, and then with the goal of hearing them through the ears of God. Through the ears of God. But he would say But he would ask them to relate. Not what I would. This is again uh, from the book Life, uh, Transforming Life Together in Christ. I think it's the title This is what Luther Barton says. When by God's grace I am aware of my own inner tendencies, I can ask God to help me set aside my projections in order to be fully present to what that person is experiencing and what God might be saying to them. You see, friends, to be a good listener, to be a great listener, to be a listener like Jesus, you have to put yourself aside, but you also have to be extremely self-aware. What's happening in me right now? How am I feeling about what's being here? What am I tempted to say that's just simply coming from my own mind or heart or flesh or my experience? See, Barton says, how we respond when we listen to God's voice might be very different from how we experience it or what God would even say to us in a similar situation. You see, you've been there before. You've experienced it before. God said this to you. He fixed your marriage this way, your problem in this way. He offered you advice. This advice from you in the middle of it. Guess what? They're not you. They're not you. They're not the same situation. There are no two identical situations. And I'm not saying that some shared advice isn't sometimes helpful, but more important than what God did in you is what He wants to do in them. So stop and set your agenda aside. You see, it's by intentionally getting out of the way and letting God ask the questions. Now, friends, as we close this morning, let me, let, me, let me challenge you with this. I want to ask you to do two things. First of all, I want you to think of someone. We can talk about listening. There's no one in here, I'm guessing, most of us in here are thinking, oh man, I see you. If you're in here this morning and you're thinking, well, I'm a really good listener, um, you may want to check this <laughs> But if you're like me and you're, you feel pretty vulnerable in this there's probably someone, maybe even a number of folks that come to mind to me. I, I need to be a better listener. I could be. I, I don't do that. I sometimes think about me. I sometimes listen short instead of listening long. I just want you to take one or two people and just let God write their names on them. Come to your brain right now. Who is it that the Lord wants to ask you to be his hands and feet in their life to listen? And then that's what I want you to do with that. I don't want you to leave here and think, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to try real hard to do this this week. I'm going to be better. And Amy is going to know that I love her and care about her because I'm just going to sit, full attention, no cell phone on, no computer in my lap. It's going to be all in, right? No. Because that will only last one afternoon. See, great listening by you will only happen when you've been listened to by the Father. 
When you've taken your issues and needs and desires and agendas and you've given them to him so that now he can work through you to listen to others. See, this is not about trying hard to be better listener. It's about listening to the Father and letting him change you from the inside out so that you can listen to him. So we close this morning with, I guess, some acoustic songs. Is that how you can go, Jerry? Good. I'm going to invite you to the table. And I want you to come with that name. And instead of carrying your hand home with you as a project, I want you to lay it on the communion table for you. Jesus, by your grace, and your power and your strength, and your death and resurrection, is pure me, is pure my heart, and is you help me. Be the kind of listener that I need to be, that we need to experience. Thank you.